Hi, I'm Dave Vitale, the founder of Starward. Pour a dram, settle in. This is the Cask Chasers podcast. All right, Cast Chasers, uh, I am very excited about this guest I have today. You've heard us chat about it off and on, um, foreign whiskeys, foreign to America, that is. We, uh, we are very self-centered to think everything outside of us is foreign. But there's a lot of whiskeys out there that aren't just from Kentucky. Um, this one's from Australia. You probably already heard of it, Star Wars Whiskey, uh, award-winning whiskey. But uh, it's kicking ass and taking names, and I'm very excited about it. I'm here with my new friend, Dave Vitali, and we're going to chat a little bit about this spirit and, uh, you know, maybe learn a couple of things and, of course, drink it. Dave, my friend, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Bobby. It's good to be here. Um, it's pretty exciting, actually, like uh, 15 years now that we've been operating. So just to kind of finally settle into America and, and start to build momentum here has been amazing over the last 12 months. You know, I think we've had a really good run at it. Yeah, it's it's interesting for me because from my side, um, I'm on social media and, you know, of course, the media in general side, um, Australians have a love for American whiskey. There is just, it's booming out there. And it's odd, but... I love when things like that, India, also a big consumer of uh, single malts or blended malts, uh, blended whiskeys. So it's it's interesting to see these countries that you may or may not, you know, correlate with something becoming such a big fan. So while I've seen the whiskey boom in Australia, I've thought before, where is Australia's whiskey? And I know there's small distilleries popping up all over, but then bam, here comes Starward to answer that call. And boy, did you answer it, my friend, is I'd like to start off with a little bit about I've read up on you, of course, I try to do a little research before I jump in head first, where you got the idea, the passion, and then I know there's a foodie piece to this, which really intrigues me. So if we can just kind of talk about all of that and how that makes sense, and then we can actually get into sipping this and make it taste even better, I'm sure. But where did you Sounds get started? I'm, I'm assuming you're eight years old, you're sitting in your bed, and you're thinking, you know what I'm going to do? Distillery. Yeah, not quite, you know, and it's a little bit improbable, you know, like in terms of like my family of origin, even though I was born and bred in Melbourne, Australia, uh, my parents emigrated from Italy. So there was a lot of wine drunk at family dinners and parties, right? It wasn't much whiskey being drunk. Um, and, you know, growing up as a young adult was around the time that the craft beer boom, both, you know, both in the United States and Australia was kind of in full force. So as an adult sort of discovering, uh, discovering alcohol and, and drinks, it was really, you know, shifted from wine, which was the family thing into beer. Um, mm. so they then kind of start a whiskey distillery, sort of a little bit odd in that context. Um, But the amazing thing about whiskey, once you start to scratch at the surface and move away from, you know, Jim, Jack, Johnny and James, you know, like like all of a sudden it's like there's an amazing like cornucopia of whiskeys out there, right? Like they're, they really talk just like beer does, just like wine does to the place it's made, you know, and that really got me excited. And, you know, um, I was really captivated by how much flavor there is in whiskey um, and different styles of whiskey, even within the one category of scotch or bourbon or 
or rye even, right, that you can have a, you know, different mash bills are going to create a different sort of flavour profile. The, the, the style of spirit that the distiller's making all impacts on what you end up with in your glass. And that was exciting. And, and then, you know, to, to then ladder up on top of that, um, I mean, ages ago, hundreds of years ago, you know, we made whiskey in Australia, but really we don't have any tradition or, or rules around whiskey. Mm. And so for me coming, coming to it, there was a real opportunity to say, well, how do we reimagine whiskey with no rules or traditions? You know, um, the creative landscape that we have is like, you know, uh, a forest. It's a park. You know, it's huge compared to the, you know, postage stamp size, you know, um, latitude that bourbon and scotch has because they're so steeped in tradition that people have an expectation. And also the regulations around those two categories of whiskies are really, really, really tightly defined. So that was exciting. That was a starting point was to say, hey, we've got real license to have fun here and, and think about this new flavor playground of whiskey. Oh, yeah, you do. Um, and there's so much to dive in there and just grain farms. Uh, I want to talk about the temperature um, because that's such an interesting part for me. But I want to rewind a little bit. You said, you said, um, you know, your family immigrated from Italy. I married into an Italian family. Um, my wife, Dana, uh, she's Italian. And um, so food, wine, ingredients, clean and locally sourced, picked from a bakery, picked from a, you know, some type of farmer's market, you know, touching the ingredients you put into the food and things like that, or hand making it from scratch. It's very important to them. And it's not something I grew up on. I grew up in Texas, which is essentially the Australia of America, um, temperature yeah. at least. But we didn't have that group mentality, family mentality around a dinner table, um, specifically when it comes to food and drink. So I love that aspect. And I think whiskey plays into that a lot. You exclusively age in wine, X wine barrels, correct? That's right. Yeah. Do those? I assume those two things speak to one another. It was. It, it makes sense. You coming from an Italian background, whiskey. Why not? Why wouldn't you? Yeah, a little. I mean, and it's sort of. There's a couple of things to that, right? Like um, to start off with, you know, all great whiskeys, all of them talk to the place they're made, and so it didn't make sense to me to start importing ex bourbon barrels and aging our whiskey in something that it already had American whiskey in it or port or sherry that it had already been done with scotch and bourbon distilleries. Um, if we could, if we could, let's explore what was possible locally. And so that was kind of the starting point. Um, we know wine is food friendly, right? We just know that it sort of plays with food. It's just the way it works. And so for me, you know, being a bit of a flavor hound, to I thought, well, I wonder what would happen if we aged our whiskey exclusively in wine barrels. So these are red wine barrels. They're like, you know, um, uh, used for making Shiraz, Cabernet and Pinot. Mm. Uh, we make a lot of that, like, you know, Californian kind of inspiration mm -hmm. and style um, red wines that are sort of, they're calling out the variety of the grape more than they are the castle that it came from, right? That's kind of that modern tradition in, in winemaking. And... Um, they're amazing. 
you know, they're an amazing barrel to use, not be, not only because they're local and I can get them from the winery to the distillery overnight and still fill them wet, which is really cool. That's very, very different. So no charring at all. But also um, they're bloody delicious. It makes delicious whiskey. Easy drinking, delicious whiskey. Agreed. And so we were really fortunate to be able to source those barrels and start using them. And, and as I said earlier, like because of this, you know, no rules, no history, no tradition of whiskey making, we could give that a go in a way that actually you couldn't call bourbon bourbon if you fully aged it in a red wine barrel. So that's a bit of fun, right? Flavor, so I'm sipping the twofold, and um, I'm a single malt snob, so I can't wait to get to the Nova, but I also like playful grains, and, you know, a double-grain whiskey aged, you know, in, in wine just feels like it's going to be a punch in the face to fl- a flavor, which it is. What's shocking is how much flavor, color, richness, depth this whiskey has, two years of aging, but the temperature, I mean, mm. you can age a lot faster in Australia, true? Absolutely. So, um, yeah, and that's the, we kind of typically qualify it. It's it's probably edging up. It is, in fact. We, we use two as a minimum on the label because we want to be absolutely sure that, you know, we're being transparent and honest. But most of the barrels are between three and four years of age in Starwood. And um, we call it three Melbourne years, you know, and a Melbourne year of ageing is very different to ageing anywhere else in the world, Texas included, you know, um, Balconas have kind of made a name for themselves for these, you know, you know, highly, you know, very intense, very, very delicious whiskies that, you know, are in a kind of uh, hot box, you know, like yes. of, of um, aging in in Texas, and it's very different. So we obviously have, you know, the outback, the big desert in the middle of Australia that everybody thinks of in terms of hot climate, but there's also another desert bobby to our south called Antarctica, and so. You know, we can have winds coming in from the north. We're in Melbourne, which is in the south southeastern part of the of Australia. We can have them coming in from the northwest, and it's hot, dry. You know, like putting your face in an oven, kind of like winds coming mm. into the distillery, hundred and five degrees Fahrenheit. You know, four or five days in a row. But they'll also the weather will also break in the afternoon, and the wind will shift to the south. And it's not uncommon to go from like 105 to 65 um, in 30 minutes and just the temp- you know the temperature completely shift and then come back the next day to being in the hundreds again. This huge diurnal range means that the barrels are always working. And so unlike, say, a Texas where they're just always hot and dry mostly, right, or Taiwan, you know, really, really uh, mm. amazing whiskey coming out of Taiwan, is hot and tropical or, you know, Kentucky where it's four distinct seasons over four quarters of the year, right? Um, or or Scotland where there's two seasons, you know, winter and June, right? Like, you know, every place has its different sort of approach to, to ageing. We've got what we call four seasons in a day. It's terrible to go out and do sightseeing if you're a tourist and, like, if you want to go to the beach, you don't know whether you need to bring, a like, a puffer jacket or just, like, your your bathers, but it makes the best whiskey in the world, I think, and it makes, you know, these barrels work really hard over those 
you know, three to four velvet years. And you see it in the liquid, right? Like it's very balanced. It's round. There's no kind of sharp edges to it. But as you point out, it's um, fully baked. You know, it does have a lot of flavor baked into it, um, both from the spirit that we're using with twofold, which is wheat and malted barley, wheat and single malt, and um, a- as well as the barrels. So twofold's my favorite. It's our kind of like, you know, it should be on the drinks trolley all the time. You know, it's one of those sorts of whiskies that you can kind of just go to and pick up if you're feeling that way. It's really different to a Scotch, a bourbon, an Irish whiskey. It's an Australian whiskey, but it does what whiskey should, right, in terms of just checking all the boxes in terms of intensity of flavour and complexity, balance, um, a good sense of spirit coming through from the wheat, which is, you know, as we know, weeded whiskies are round, really soft and kind of have a creaminess to them from a texture perspective, but then the single malt spirit that we marry together you know, gives it some lusciousness and texture and, you know, length. Thank you for saying lusciousness, because I'm sitting here trying to think of, I'm sitting here trying to think of the right word, and I'm thinking wet is just too obvious. Um, but it has a juice-like finish in a good way. It's very, um, the, it's not dry, Yeah, I guess. I, I don't know what the, op- I've heard so many people, uh, you know, use a identifier as dry with a wine or something. I, I don't think I've ever heard what the opposite of that is, but I think luscious, I think flavorful and very, um, very unctuous, I guess is, is an appropriate word too. a lot of depth in there. Um, I've been to Australia, um, many, many, many years ago, uh, Darwin, um, and I don't know the difference there and the climate and I'm, I'm sure there, I know there are ways away, but I do remember thinking, wow, it's hot, and then thinking, Jesus, it's cold, and then thinking, why can't this place make its mind up? Um, it's like making a steak there. It's it's really hot sear and then slow and low at night, you know what I mean? It's just, it's it's very much a place to experience multiple different seasons in a, in a day, um, but at the same time, I can see how whiskey can really thrive in a place like that. So it's no wonder that whiskey from Australia is kind of this new up-and-coming thing. And um, Starward is the only whiskey I've had so far um, from Australia, but I know of a, a, a bunch of small distilleries out there. Back to a little history from you. I want to dig more into this foodie piece because I, lo- I, I said at the beginning, I love that aspect. We've had some chefs on. I do like pairing whiskey with food. I think it does a great job via cocktail, small, you know, sample of whiskey just to not quench thirst or help you swallow, but rather add flavor or, you know, enhance a flavor. Can we talk a little bit about how you see food as it pertains to whiskey? Yeah. You know, and I think you you captured it earlier when you're talking about Dana's family, right? In terms of just like things of very minimal intervention, just sourcing great ingredients and letting the do the food do the talking, that the ingredients do the talking as opposed to like lots of adjuncts here and there and mm. sauces and rubs and you know, like it's just really basic kind of cuisine, you know, like at its best. And um I think every Italian is a foodie at heart. You know, I mean, sometimes that word gets a little bit of a bad rap, but mm. ultimately it's just a it's just a way of viewing the world. You know, like it's a way of sort of seeing food as more than just fuel, but something that, you know, brings people together, 
that you can explore and innovate with and learn from. And, you know, I think that for me, when I thought about food and Starwood and, you know, um, this being a, this, the inspiration was equal parts. Yeah, we should have whiskey at the dinner table. Why not? Right. But that's a 20 year vision. Bobby, like we're going to have, you know, a wine glass and a water glass for a very long time, mm. right? Like that's what we've got at the moment on a dinner table. And putting a whiskey glass at everybody's table setting is a 20-year ambition, but I'm up for it, yes. right? Like I'm up for that and, and we're going to get there one day, right? But in the meantime, let's be inspired by, you know, the inspiration, I guess, for Starwood was more about thinking about it from a culinary arts perspective, right? And Melbourne as a city is is, I think, the best multicultural experiment in the world. Mm. You know, you see it in pockets of the United States, for sure, you know. Um, but the wonderful thing about Melbourne is it is genuinely a melting pot of different diverse cultures. And that's a real cliche. But I think most places are probably more salad bowl than they are soup when it comes to multiculturalism, right? You can still pick the specific parts out of the salad that you don't like mm -hmm. whereas a soup you're all in right like you either like the soup or you don't and yep. melbourne's that right it's kind of melded together and and for me that's a wonderful thing you know i grew up um you know really culturally diverse um environment you know both you know in school like my cousins who um you know i remember their wedding it was like you know his best man was his brother but then you know the two groomsmen were like um a vietnamese guy and a Lebanese guy, you know what I mean? Like, and we're Italian. So, like, it's just kind of like, it's, there's, it's a, you know, I think um, the unifying part of that is sports. It's a great leveler, of course, you know, um, and food, you know, and we wanted to kind of be inspired by that and sort of like open our minds to what whiskey can be and explore the possibilities of it with a really progressive mind of like flavor first respecting what had come before us because like it is mm. amazing you know when you think about what bourbon and scotch and irish whiskey and even japanese whiskey has contributed to the conversation around um whiskey and, and just being together as uh you know sociability but um we've got another lens to look at it from so the inspiration was part about experimentation, exploring boundaries of flavour, doing things that haven't been done before, like ageing in red, red wine barrels for the full period, you know, wine out, whiskey in. That's kind of novel, but no one was really doing that before um, at scale and certainly not not from, you know, I mean, there's barely a... You can't do it in Kentucky because it's got to be brand-new American oak. And, you know, there's barely enough sun in Scotland to grow grapes, let alone make have a winery where you can source these barrels from right so they're coming from a long way away and so we were really excited by this you know and 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 being part of that conversation in a modern way so that's part one of foodie you know like a whiskey for from a foodie to a foodie is like it's inspired by that and as you know, single malt whiskey is made all over the world. Yeah, Beb, everywhere. Right, everywhere. You'd be surprised to hear that there are few, very few, just a handful of single malt distilleries in England. Is that true? It actually is true. Wow. Impex is proud to be the importers of Spirit of Yorkshire Distillery. Okay. Located right by Filey Bay. Right by it? Right by it. Filey Bay? Filey Bay. 
The Filey Bay? The Filey Bay. Okay. Making some of the finest world-class whiskeys. And guess what? What? Spirit of Yorkshire Distillery is another distillery that was helped out by the one, the only, Dr. Jim Swan. The Jim Swan? Yeah, which, as you know, played a huge part in so many of the other brands within the Impex portfolio. Sure. From Kilhoman to M&H to Pendarin and so on. All of them, babe. So we are proud to have this maker of fine single malt whiskey in our portfolio. Take a look for it. It'll say Filey Bay on the bottle. Okay. Snap it up if you like big, fruity, tropical fruity whiskeys. That baby's for you, baby. All right. All right. Impex Beverages. Yeah. Proud sponsor of Cask Chasers Podcast. Yeah. But the second bit, as I said earlier, is yeah, like the way you serve it too, Bobby. Like we love our whiskeys like this, right? You don't need drunk meat all the time. But um, why not make it an ingredient in a great drink? Mm. You know, why not think about whiskey? as an ingredient in a make great drink, we don't have a problem. And, you know, it's a bigger bigger deal in Australia where there's very, very, very hardcore mindset around whiskey is drunk meat, perhaps with a couple of drops of ice or, or drops, drops of water or with ice. And, you know, obviously here the Manhattan and the Sazerac and the old-fashioned have been cocktails that have been around for, you know, decades, almost probably century, you know, a century now, right? So far more progressive in the United States. But in Australia it was like, no, whiskey's has one occasion, it's after dinner by the fireplace, you know, when you're contemplating the woes of the world, you know, and probably someone with a beard, a tweed jacket and a pipe drinking it. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of, that's the stereotype of whiskey. And we wanted to kind of say, well, that's great. I love the idea of that. And, you know, let me tell you, I've been definitely had those moments with whiskeys, my own included, where just kind of thinking about, being contemplative but there's so much more opportunity and and that's what we want to celebrate and again as i said earlier like wine's really food friendly so what better whiskey to kind of have fun with and use as an ingredient the one that's aged in wine barrels no i think how do i say this i love tradition um i wouldn't say i'm a traditionalist but i do respect tradition and nostalgia I think is what I respect I like doses of nostalgia I, I my wife and I were chatting earlier and there's this uh, Christmas bazaar at a Catholic uh, church that they have here and my wife's been going since she was a little kid and it's it's a terrible time it's very there's it's it's like knickknacks being sold nuns making bakeries bakery product you know you know it's uh scratch off tickets for kids to win cheap toys it's it's very much low-key and whatever but my wife decided this year she wasn't going to go and my teenage boys threw a fit they never want to go anywhere but it's ingrained in them to be traditional. And look, it is a terrible time. It's so boring there. It's nuns everywhere. And I don't know, my listeners, what you know about nuns, but God bless them, um, which he did. They are not exactly an amusement park. Um, but they wanted to go because of tradition. And so I do love and I want to instill tradition. But I also like a heavy dose of something from the outside to change it up. I I do like a little innovation as well. Whiskey, what I'm getting at is that's what whiskey is to me. I think 
I like the guy. I have a beard and I'm white. Um, so we have our place in whiskey. I don't think there's enough of us. No, I'm just kidding. I think, I think, <laughs> I think, I, I, yeah, <laughs> too many. Um, I think it's neat to see, you know, a person of color win uh, a cocktail award. I'm talking about LP from, um, uh, what, what's the show on Netflix? She just went, Cocktail Master? Drink masters. Um, I think it's interesting to see people, you know, Samara Davis, Black Bourbon Society. I think it, I, you know, people of the LBGT community, you know, are behind the bars making these great cocktails, pouring these amazing drinks. People from different cultures are making whiskey. We have great whiskey from India, Taiwan, Japan's been killing it, obviously. You know, Israel is making some really interesting whiskey, Australia, Canada's doing their best. I think. I think uh, I always have to pick on Canada. I love you guys to death. I think innovation and tradition can live and coincide in the same place. I think it's okay to have a traditional plate of spaghetti served in an untraditional way, you know, deconstructed with, I don't know, foie or something, whatever. I'm not, a, I'm not a chef, but you see what I'm saying? I think they can live together. I don't think there's this, I don't think there's this place of conflict that, so many people try to place down on it. A guy in a tweed jacket and a pipe can share a drink with somebody, you know, with a red mohawk. And, uh, you know, I don't know. That's my craziest idea of what a person can be, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, totally. You know, and the thing is, you know, it's great to have those, those um, anchors, you know, of where we've come, you know, like to just kind of remind us how far we've come too, right? And the, the challenge is that, um, the challenge is that I think that nostalgia always feels a little bit better than it actually was, right? Number one. Safe. And the second, yeah. And the second point is that you can get caught up in something that actually um, needs to be more relevant for, for a modern time, you know, and, you know, we've had a huge resurgence of, uh, interest in bourbon and whiskey spelled both ways around from mm-hmm. around the world mm-hmm. over the last I'm gonna say well pretty much fifteen years since I've started. Like that was where my curiosity was starting, you know, right at the early days. But um if you look at the drinker, they're a lot younger and typically have a Y chromosome as much as they do an X, you know, and or two X's, you know, and and are really kind of um coming at this from a different lens, you know, and I think that um, the best whiskies in the world have kind of stepped up and, and risen to that challenge, but it's also afforded a great opportunity um, for brands like ours to kind of talk about, yeah, it doesn't have to be old to be well-crafted. That's an old norm, you know, and you want it to be aged for like 20 years if you only get one or two months a year of like any sort of temperature change and the rest of the time it's, miserable like in you know the northern parts of scotland like you need 20 years to make a really soft round delicious whiskey. sure but you don't need to do that if it's even from a place where the temperatures you know up and down every day like it's going to be different is it better no it's just different right so that's kind of and i think that people are open more way more open-minded that to that conversation today than they may have been say 15 or 20 years ago where it is was so steeped in tradition and whiskey particularly was all about, um, uh, well, I wouldn't say all about, but I think premium whiskeys were certainly about status and 
afflicts. Not you know, not to um, not to challenge you here, Dave, but I don't know if you've been on Facebook lately, but people are still thinking that way, and <laughs> it's hard to pull age yeah. statement out of somebody's hand sometimes. But I agree with you. Not to interrupt, but I I hundred percent agree. But uh, there is definitely yeah. still a fight ahead of us. But go on. I'm sorry. I, I, and you know, I don't think the easiest thing. You know, like to me, it's like well. You know, I don't want it to be a fight, actually, because actually, you know, don't get me wrong. And uh, a twenty-year-old whiskey, a twenty-year-old whiskey is so evocative of a time and place when whiskey wasn't. You know, right now it wasn't the thing it is now. So you're actually capturing a moment in time, right? Mm. And that's kind of interesting. So I, I still think age matters, but from a different perspective. Just don't talk to me about it being better quality. Right, like that's all. Yeah. Like I'm just not interested in that part of the conversation because I've never met a distiller that wants to release a crappy product, right? And you know, I'm sure you've had whiskies that are overcooked. You know, like a 17 year old whiskey, you know, is just bullseye perfect. But perhaps the 23 year old whiskey, and you can join the dots, is a little bit like overdone. Yeah. And overcooked. There's a really good reason for that. The reason is that they've gone beyond the char level into brand new oak that's sitting there just waiting to have all of its tannins and lignans that haven't been softened by char, right? Because it kind of just seeped beyond that point. Accelerate from 17 to basically 45 in five years. Yeah. Right? Because it's just all of that astringent, oaky character. So better older is relative. And there are some times when actually older's not the best you know it's the most scarce right it's the one that like from a marketing point of view and supply and demand perspective goes up in price but it's not necessarily like pegging price to quality is a you know a very um dangerous thing to do you know i think i agree with you wholeheartedly um you know to to continue on with the Italian rhetoric, a good bolognese needs time. Um, it just it's better with time. You know, I think minimum of thirty, maximum of forever is when you how long you want to you know let it cook. But um, that being said, I've also my one of my favorite whiskeys, um, which you're you know speaks to exactly what you were just saying is Highland Park, of course. Um, and nail in the head 17 year Highland Park is probably my favorite time frame although the 25 is delicious that being said Cast Chasers also just put their name on a three-year Kilholman um, which is absolutely stunning um, now does it have some of the richness and depth no it's very depth it's very grain forward but it gives you a different perspective of what you're achieving in a whiskey the star word I've moved on to the Nova um yeah. For uh, for the listeners' sake, um, first off, that twofold, excellent. I agree with you. Why isn't it on every bar shelf in America, all over the world? Um, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna walk out of the next bar I go to that doesn't have it. I'll just leave. They won't even notice me. They'll be like, that guy just turned Good. around and left. Um, but <laughs> but I'll know why I left. Um, I've moved on to the Starward um, Nova, and uh, it's it's already been sipping it. It's incredible. I think. Time is important, but not always the only ingredient. I think the red wine here barrel does something absolutely extraordinary. I'm assuming the temperature, your grain choices. It's 
but it's made by somebody. And I, I say this almost on every, every, every interview I do. And it, it, God, it always sounds like I listen back when we're editing and I always think, God, I'm such a placator. I'm just, I, I just pander to people, but it, it's the truth and I can't help it. When you taste whiskey from somebody that gives a shit and my listeners are like, here he goes on this rant again. It just tastes better because if you've ever watched like uh, the chef's table or something, you see the chef going out to the to the markets in the morning, and he's he or she is running their hands in the grain and smelling the ingredients they're going to use for that day. They're they get they care about what's going on that plate, what's going in there, versus you know bagged, pre frozen, dropped in a, a, th- a vat of grease. Nothing wrong with that either, because I do like my fast food. But my point is, I digress. My point is, there is something different when you are playful, when you have the room to be playful and experimental. You have a team that cares. You're doing interesting things that aren't the norm while maintaining a course of some tradition because you want to be consistent. I think that's the key ingredient for a perfect whiskey. Obviously, it's harder than that or everybody would have a distillery. Um, so you also have yeah. to, you have to have a little more, but I, I think the build on that you're totally right. Like I mean, it, it is caring, you know, and that's really really important. But you know, the thing that we were really deliberate about was having a specific lens on the whiskey that spoke to the to Australia, right? And you know, being being distinctive, you know, one of my favorite whiskeys, I've got a, you know, favorite region in the world. It's, it's Isla, right? Like I love mm. peated scotches. Like I just love them. My middle daughter's name's Isla. That gives you an idea of how much I love them. Right. So, you know, they're great, but you know, the, the thing I love about them is you pull the cork on one of those bottles and you know, it's a peated whiskey, right? It is undeniably distinctive in flavor profile and character. And what I wanted to bring to Starwood was the same sort of mindset of like, this can only be Starwood because it has a distinctive flavor profile, which speaks to the place it's made. And so it's caring about a purpose for mm-hmm. me, I guess, is my build on that. Like, there's a very distinct purpose. You know, and Kill Home and, you know, make, um, like us, make amazing young whiskey in scotland right because they're taking care of like the thing you know they've got a purpose and very Mm. deliberate with the approach they're making the spirit it's like a really clean fermentation and a great distillation that means that you're going to get a like a really light spirit that doesn't need time in wood you know it doesn't need time in wood to round out and then it's just an extractive process and a reactive process that's going on. So yeah, younger whiskies are a heap easier when you've got that mindset and purpose um, behind it. So, you know, I think um, uh, it's exciting because we're, you know, there are kindred spirits of Starwood around the world, you know, and not just, not just in Australia. And I, you know, not with, you know, you don't want to mention names that all, you know, if you do see an Australian whiskey on a shelf, I, you know, I can vouch for it. Like we, you know, all of it's amazing. I take the keys to any Australian whiskey distillery, such as the quality that's being made. And, you know, we just picked up best, you know, world's best distillery this year. So that's saying something, you know, when I say that I take the keys to any other Australian distillery. Um, so, you know, we we um, we make great whiskey in Australia. 
um, with that sort of purpose and, and, and mindset of reflecting the place it's made. But so does, you know, as you pointed out before, like, you know, amazing distilleries from Israel, from India, from Taiwan, Japanese, modern Japanese whiskies, not just old Japanese whiskies. You know, there's um, uh, a Welsh whisky. There's um, English distilleries in Oxford, you know, sourcing rye grains, mm-hmm. you know, that are like heirloom grains that are really only been historically used to um, for regenerative purposes to regenerate their ground um, and add nitrogen back into the soil but all of a sudden you know they're they're finding another use for them as a spirit like a, a distinctive rice spirit from scotland i mean it's crazy like you know this world that we're living in now is it's probably the golden era of whiskey you know in my view just in terms of the diversity the 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 quality for sure, but more more important than that, the deliberate um, agenda by modern distilleries to really innovate and push the boundaries and and, and have a distinctive lens on whiskey. Beautiful. And I am going to list a couple of Australian te- slash Tasmanian uh, distilleries out there that I am a fan of that have some have yet to come to America. Old Kempton, um, I have, they've sent me all kinds of gear. I hope uh, a small distillery, but they're incredible. Kilara Distillery, McHenry Distillery, Sullivan's Cove Distillery, uh, Spring Bay, um, Adams, just to name a few. Oh, and Taylor Smith Distillery, Distilling. Um, these are a few that I've been in contact with, but there's so many, many more. Starwood's just been able to move the star forward. Huh? We'll see if I leave. Okay, oh, my, my team, that, my yeah. team, nice. uh, my team looked at me with disgust. So maybe not. Um, yeah, my play on words. But my yeah. point is, Australia is creating and making amazing things. It's a beautiful country. If you haven't visited, uh, take do do so. It's gorgeous. It's not just a hot desert. You know, we. I think so many movies come out about with Australia and. I mean, the one that everybody, it's Mad Max. And so we all just assume it's just hot. and It's not. It's gorgeous, um, beautiful scenery, especially the coast, some of the most amazing beaches. Um, yes, everything in the water will kill you, but um, I think that's probably less uh, aggressive than I'm, I'm I mean, America. Yeah. This is a really, you, you got some, you got some teen kids, so this will kind of be funny. It's like um, there's a jellyfish that if you get stung by it, you know, you, you, you develop like, you know, um, impending bouts of doom. And I'm like, well, like, how do you know if a teenager gets like bitten because they're so bloody yeah. cynical and you know, so yeah, like, yeah. it's either you know, puberty or jellyfish. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. The, it's like, yeah. well, I don't know if you've been stung or whether it's, it's uh, just so funny. But yeah, no, there's a there's a few things that'll hurt you, but they're fine. They'll leave you alone. Yeah. Most of it, right? yeah. yeah, look, you know, and the big challenge with those distilleries, and there's more. I could, you know, we could spend a whole oh my gosh, session talking about Australian whiskey. Um, but um is scale, right? Like a lot of them, you know, when they started didn't have the didn't anticipate that there'd be such a curiosity about whiskies um, beyond their local neighborhoods, literally, you know. And so um, we, when I started, it was with this idea that we would start thinking about being that Australian whiskey that everybody knows and um, around the world. And so we started with some scale. And as a result of that, a lot of them now are stepping up. So I'm really optimistic that in the next you know, four or five years, you're going to see some more Australian whiskies in the United States. There's a couple of others that are actually here, Bobby. Um, one of them is a good mate of mine, 
Um, he makes uh, an amazing rye uh, in like a local neighborhood um, to where I actually grew up, which is pretty cool. And um, it's called the Gospel. Amazing rye, mm. amazing. And um, the other that's available in California, I think Northern California. And the other one that's just launched recently is um, a single malt distillery in wine country, but fortified wine country, um, that is called Morris. And Morris is um, really fortunate in that they're making single malts, but all of them are aged in fortified wine barrels from the from the family winery that that owns the distillery. So it's pretty cool to kind of have that close integration. So there's some more coming, which is really exciting. And like I said, all of them are great. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see more. Um, as we wrap up, I want to give you one of the biggest compliments I can. Um, hopefully you take it as a compliment. Every time I explain a whiskey to somebody, they always ask me, is it, is it like scotch or is it like bourbon? Um, this is like Australian whiskey and, Bravo. It is its own. It is its own course. I said the same thing to Pandaren, who is one of my favorite Welsh whiskeys. It's very much not Scotch. It's very much Welsh. This is very much Australian. And I can tell you listeners, it's coming from a man and a team that give a shit about what they do. It's delicious. It's fantastic. I'm so bummed. Um, I don't have the Vitalis here to talk about, but I'm expecting that to come tomorrow. I believe it Listeners, you got to give it an opportunity to get here from, you know, another country. So, you know, stop, stop, uh, you know, you got to have a little patience. Um, but Dave, I, I love it. It's great. I'm, I'm in the Nova now. I left the twofold. I'm going to go back to the twofold. So much rich flavor, so much rich history. I mean, it's in such a short amount of time, you've done an incredible thing. Tell me a little bit about before we go, before we start wrapping up. Tell me a little bit about the Vitalis. I just want to I want to hear about it before I taste it. Um, so it's basically our fifteenth anniversary this year. Um, Congrats! And as I mentioned when we start, yeah, it's it's a, and it's a big deal. You know, like um, we don't make you know as a distillery. Um, most Australian distilleries typically have a portfolio of products. So they'll have a gin, a vodka, a whiskey, you know, um, some liqueurs, things that they can turn into cash real quick before the whiskey arrives. Mm. We never did that, you know. Like one of my mentors said, Dave, if you want to catch, you know, it's hard enough catching one rabbit in a paddock, <laughs> but if you try and catch two, you won't catch either of them, you know. And so... Uh... Um, That's good. you know, we focused solely on whiskey, which is a bloody hard thing to do. So I'm really proud of the fact that we made it to, to the 15 year mark. Um, and, and what we've got in the 15th anniversary called Vitalis is obviously this backbone of amazing red wine barrels, a mixture of French oak and American oak wine barrels, Shiraz Cabernet Pinot, different sizes. Amazing. And then beyond that, um, we do like to play. Um, we've got some ex-bourbon barrels in there, which are fun. We've got some fortified, you know, really spirit forward, that like that mindset you're mm-hmm. talking, you know, like you're thinking about the uh, kill home and spirit forward sort of finished. Yeah. Or, or, or complete, but spirit forward character. Um, we've got um, some Apera barrels, which are basically Australian fortified wine, most like sherry. Um, we've got some rum barrels from a big distillery mm. up north called Bundaberg Rum. Um, and... You know, uh, tawny barrels, which are port barrels, and so 
or but all from Australia, except for the you know the the bourbon casks are obviously imported. So all of those barrels married together can sometimes sound like a bit of a Frankenstein whiskey. You know, I'm sure we've all done it. Like the infinity, the infinity bottle takes a really sharp turn left yes. that you didn't anticipate, right? By putting something in there that yeah. was just, you know. Um, so it really is uh, a testament to the blenders who are all winemakers. That's where we source our our you know our blending team um, from from wine back backgrounds. They source our barrels fill them and then bring them together to craft um, Starwood. It's a testament to them that this this is just such a well-integrated product that talks to like all those lovely characters and lots of depth and complexity. This is definitely, you know, three fingers poured and six episodes of something on your favourite streaming channel, right? And, you know, the first episode is going to taste different to the second and third and fourth and fifth. It's just going to open up and just kind of un- unleash all those flavours. Um, and so it's um, very highly allocated. There's um, only about 400 bottles in the United States. Uh, we have them on our website at starwood.com. Um, and um, for your listeners, we might put this in the show notes, but there's a free shipping code for anybody that uh, wants to pick up some some whiskey from Starwood. Um, as a thank you to everybody yes. to listening and to give them a, to give them a go, so it's um, Starwood free ship. But we'll put that in the show notes um, yeah. so that people can use that. Bobby, um, um, they won't be disappointed. I am sure. excited. Or you can just come to my house and have some. That's everyone. Eight. How many? Yeah, that's a lot of people. No, not everyone. You don't know where I live. Ha <laughs> um, Anyone that knows where I live can come have some. Anyone that's stalking me. Just knock on the door. You don't have to stalk. You can knock. I'll answer. Uh, I have plenty of whiskey to share. Dave, you have been incredible. You are making a great whiskey, you and your team. I, I don't want to leave anyone out there because I know it's a, a bunch of people doing amazing things. We have a gold medal, multiple gold medal, uh, San Francisco World Spirit Competition, one of the only competitions I respect um, out there, one of the few. There's very few of them. Um, and you have won from them, and I do respect that board and that talented group of people that that pick the winners. You're doing cool stuff, man. You're changing the the you're changing the the wave, and I love that. I, I I wouldn't expect anything less from Australia, my people from down under, because you guys love love to stand up above everyone else, and I and you make cool stuff, and I appreciate it. Um, I will call it the Aussie charm of uh, outdoing everyone else. So I look forward to anything else coming from you, and uh, I'll do a post. To the, I don't know when this episode will release, but you will probably beforehand see a post from me and the Vitalis just talking about it a little bit because I don't I want to take that away from you. So that may happen before this episode releases. Dave, you have been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on to the podcast, chatting with my me and my listeners, and uh, giving us something to look forward to. I appreciate it so much. Absolute pleasure, mate. I just want to also just uh, yeah. extend a happy holidays to everybody and thanks for Cheers. all the support. And if you do find, you know, if you if you do kind of fall in love with Starwood, the best thing you can do is talk to your independent retailers about getting it on the shelves. Now, who carries that's it? That's the hard part, right? Who Who's your distributor in the U.S.? So we we import ourselves and then work with obviously every state based distributor. Gotcha. You know that that sort of ha- has a route to market from that perspective. So. Um, you know, we, I, I don't know what I was thinking when I thought this doesn't seem that hard, um, <laughs> and moved over here and, <laughs> and decided to do that. But, um, 
So we're so, so we're 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 self-distributing effectively as an importer, and then working with each of the larger distributors in each of the states um, to get it onto shelves. But yeah, the big challenge for us is no one's asking for Australian whiskey um, in retail, so they're they're a little bit apprehensive. But the funny thing is. When you talk to them about Japanese whiskey, they go, yeah, yeah, it was like that with Japanese whiskey too, I guess. You know, like 10 years ago, no one was asking for Japanese whiskey and then it exploded. And then everyone was asking for a Japanese whiskey and then you couldn't get it. So, um, you know, uh, it'd be great to, to do that. But yeah, happy holidays to everyone. And thanks so much for your support, Bobby. Let's catch up in the spring. I've got some new, new special releases coming up. You are welcome on anytime. And um, I'm a fan, so I'll do anything I can to support you guys. And uh, my listeners are, um, they, they do what I, they have to do what I tell them where they can't be listeners anymore. It's part of the contract <laughs> they sign. They have to go find a bottle and buy it and uh, support this great brand and great company and this great group of people. But anyway, um, I'm, I'm dead serious listeners, 100% right now. Um, they, well, fine. I just won't listen. Dave, thank you. I appreciate you, my friend. It, it's, it's great fun. meeting you. Great chatting with you. I'm going to keep drinking. I'm actually going to go have a cigar with the Nova. That's what I'm doing next. And then, uh, uh, yeah, just so you know, the in- little insight, because I, I really, really enjoy it, man. And um, I'm, I'm, I want to see yes. how it plays. Yeah. Cheers, my friend. All right. Take care. Well, that's this week's episode. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you can find us anywhere that you stream your favorite podcast. Also, make sure to follow us at Cast Chasers on Instagram and Facebook. You can always reach us at www.castchasers.org. And while you're there, pick up some awesome swag. (laughs) 